Hey, hey, welcome to episode number 52 of the Brave Widow Show. Today, I talk with Nicole Rapecca. And Nicole is, she, she has a beautiful spirit. She has a beautiful presence. If you're able to watch this on YouTube, I highly recommend that you do that. Just the way she presents herself is very lovely. And she has some really interesting things to share about her story. She ended up finding out that she was pregnant only two days before her husband was put into a coma and ultimately he passed. So hear about her experience with raising a child post losing her husband and rediscovering really who she is and what helped her through some of that. Now, before I introduce you to Nicole, I do want to remind you that we have a lot of free things out there in the widow universe at bravewidow.com. And we have some live events that are coming up and the way that you can hear about those and know the latest and greatest of what's going on is by signing up for the email list. And you can do that by going to bravewidow.com slash free F R E E download free resources. I have checklists. I have training videos. I have a workbook. I have all kinds of stuff that you can have absolutely for free just by signing up and being part of the email list and including some live events where I spend all kinds of time putting together information that's educational, impactful, and helps equip you on your journey to healing. So sign up again at bravewidow.com slash free to learn more about what's going on there. All right, now let me introduce you to Nicole. Nicole's husband was put into a coma two days after she found out she was pregnant with their first child and he never woke up. It's now been five and a half years since he's passed and she's gone through pregnancy, childbirth, raising her now five-year-old and dating and finding new love again. Nicole's journey has not been easy, but she has been very vulnerable and open with her story she shares with you today, and she is now helping other widows on their journey to healing. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Brave Widow Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Jones. We help young widows heal their heart, find hope, and dream again for the future. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Brave Widow Show. Today, I am here with Nicole Rapecca, and I'm so excited to have her on the show and to hear uh, her share her story and how she is uh, currently now also helping support other widows. So Nicole, welcome to the show and thank you so much for coming on. Hi. Yeah. So thank you for having me. So you want me to just get started on my story? Yeah, I think it would help if you want to share a little about your background, and then we can jump into your story just wherever you want to start. Okay, so I met my husband when I was like 22, 23. We were young, started dating, got married a few years later. We were both working towards our careers. We weren't quite there yet. Then 2017, so we had been married for almost four years at that point. So Christmas Eve, so we were like finally like getting to a good place. Like we had both been promoted in our jobs. Um, We were starting to be financially stable more. Uh, Christmas came around. Christmas Eve, he got sick with the flu. I don't talk about it much anymore. So it's kind (laughs) of 
Um, it's been five years now, but uh, Christmas Eve, he got sick with the flu. We were young. I was 30. He was 33. So we just kind of, okay, you're sick, whatever. Then a couple days later, he was still really sick. So we took him to the doctor. A doctor was like, there was a Tamiflu shortage at the time. So the doctor didn't prescribe anything, just said, it's a flu, go home, take some Tylenol, ibuprofen. You'll be better in a few days. A few days later, we went back to urgent care. <laughs> because he had started coughing up blood the night before. And sorry, I skipped something in there. <laughs> something very big in there. About two days after we took him to the doctor, I kind of thought that I might be pregnant. So I took a test. I wasn't sure if it was just like the stress from the holidays. I was late. So I took a test. We weren't trying at the time. Took a pregnancy test, came back positive. Uh, he was still very sick. Um, so uh, we didn't really talk about it. He was just kind of like, okay, you know, we'll talk about it later when I'm feeling better. And it's like, okay. And then the next morning is when he woke me up, told me he was coughing up blood overnight. We had to take him to the doctor, took him to urgent care. Urgent care took his, took all of his vitals and was like, I, I can't believe he hasn't passed out yet because his, his, um, I'm blanking on the word, his blood oxygen levels were like really low, like in the seventies, which normal is like 95 to 98. So it was like really low. So they sent us, well, first they told us we had the option of just going to the pharmacy to get some medicine or going to the hospital. And my husband at the time was like, oh yeah, let's, you know what? I don't want to go to the hospital. It just seems like a lot of work. Let's just go get the medicine. And then he started feeling worse before we were discharged from urgent care. And so he's actually on second thought, let's go to the hospital. So I drove, drove him to the hospital. His parents only lived a few minutes away from us at the time. So they had met us over in the ER. But yeah, so we, we got to the hospital. It took a little while. It was like a really bad flu season that year. It was like 2017 into 2018. So this was actually, this was December 30th at the time. So it was just kind of crazy at the hospital. It took a while to be seen. Like I had to ask multiple times at the triage center being like, hey, like my husband can't breathe. He's like about to pass out. We need to be seen. And so finally after, it was at least an hour of waiting we were finally taken in and seen and they were immediately like, yeah, like he's, he's not doing well. Let's put him in oxygen. Let's, we have to admit him. He's going to be here a while. So, so yeah, so that was the first day. It was a very overwhelming day. I ended up spending the night there with him. He got admitted into the ICU after a few hours once the bed opened up. And then we spent the night there. He was on like a I forget the name of it, but it's kind of like a, like a CPAP or like a... it's, it forces like oxygen in. So he really couldn't talk. He was like texting me, but he couldn't talk because the machine was on its face. They had to shave his beard. He had a really big beard. It was like a gorgeous beard and they had to shave it off and they did an awful job of it. <laughs> but yeah, so he was on that. He just was feeling awful all night. The next day, his mom came back. I had spent the night there in the IC with him. His mom came back and she kind of like relieved me. Like I, so I could go home, shower. We were not expecting to spend the night there when we went. Uh, so I went home and just cried, <laughs> cried on the way home, went to the grocery store, cried, took a shower, cried. 
And then that had to be really overwhelming, I'm sure. And I don't know at that point if you were thinking, I'm not sure if he's going to make it or if it was more just yeah, like I really didn't understand how sick he was at that point. It was just kind of like the stress of having been at the hospital, just having found out I was pregnant and we were not trying to get pregnant. So that was kind of a shock. And I was a little overwhelmed by that news already. So yeah, so A few hours later, I was like, I hadn't slept really. So I was kind of just trying to rest and relax, which was impossible. His mom called me and said, they need to induce a coma. And this was New Year's Eve day or New Year's Eve, but not at night. And she was like, they need to induce a coma because he's just not responding. He's not getting better. So they need to intubate and put him into a coma. So I had to go back to the hospital because they're like, they need to do it now. You need to get back here quickly. The hospital wasn't that far away, but they were like, they have to do it now. So you have to get here if you want to talk to him before they put him into the coma. That was, that was tough. Uh, So I had to go back to the hospital. I didn't even know like how to get back to the room because I was so disoriented. I had to have someone walk me back there. That's the last time I got to talk to him. So they put him into a coma. All I really got to do when I got there was just tell him like, hey, I'll be here. I'll be here when you wake up. I love you. And he still couldn't really talk. And then they kind of whisked me out of the room and started doing what they needed to do. And that's all the time I really got with him before they did that, which I mean, I understand it was was urgent. But uh, yeah, so he spent the next basically three weeks just in a coma. And there were a lot of ups and downs. And it was very tough three weeks. And then it was, there was a point in there, probably about two weeks in, he was like, he would kind of get worse and then do a little bit better and then get a lot worse and do a little bit better. And it got to the point where if he gets any worse, he's just going to die. So there was a day that we thought he was going to die. And I was freaking out. It was funny because nobody else thought he was going to die. Or at least nobody, maybe the doctors did, but they weren't saying it. But his family was there and they were kind of like, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. They had to put him on dialysis. That was kind of like the doctor told me it was like the Hail Mary. I happened to be out to lunch with my sister at the time. She came over. It was whatever holiday around there. I don't know. But it was a holiday weekend. So she came out and this was in January. It was around like the maybe 15th. So she came out and we went to lunch and they called me while we were at lunch And the doctor was like, look, if we don't do something drastic right now, he's not going to make it. So we need to put him on dialysis, which is dangerous because he's never had it before. They did that. And then he did get better. But then two, three days later, it was he took a big turn for the worse. And that's when it just it happened. He went downhill. He ended up coding while they were doing the starting to code. Well, I think it was after they did dialysis. Honestly, I'm a little hazy on the details now. But yeah, so so he passed away, obviously, or I wouldn't be on the show. And I was uh, was seven weeks pregnant at the time. I hadn't even had my first. I had one appointment that my sister went with me just to confirm with the doctor that I was pregnant. They didn't even do an ultrasound or anything yet. So I hadn't even really had my first real appointment yet. And he was gone. I did tell his parents, I had to tell his parents while he was in a coma, which I'm glad I told them before he passed away. But yeah, it was just like, I was too stressed about it. And I'm, I'm a huge coffee drinker. 
And I also, I do like to drink <laughs> alcohol. And so we were going out to dinners and they were like, oh, do you want to get a margarita? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no reason. I'm just going to pass today. <laughs> so it was just like stressful for me because I'm like, they have to know I'm not drinking coffee. I'm not drinking alcohol. So I actually told them at the hospital one day, he was on a a rotoprone bed, which is something they do for, he had what they called ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress syndrome. It's actually, it wasn't COVID, but because it was, this was 2018, January, 2018. So it was before COVID, but it was very similar to how people kind of pass of COVID from what he had. So they put him on something called a rotoprone bed, which would turn him basically. So he was like suspended upside down, which put less pressure on his lungs. So they would sometimes turn him back up because you can't stay that way for too long. Um, so they were like doing something with that. So we were outside and I gave them like a little gift bag that had like, a onesie in it that said, Brad, like dad. <laughs> and I told him that I was pregnant, which is kind of like how, a weird <laughs> setting. To how to how did they react to that? Because that, that's a we little mixed emotion. I mean, they were excited and I feel like it was like hopeful for them more. That he has this thing that he knew about, though we never really got to talk about it, but he has this thing kind of to hopefully live for, and maybe he'll fight and make it kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was definitely, it was a very, that was one of the weirdest things is like, when I was telling people he died, like I called his best friend after he passed away, I called him at like two in the morning. And he knew what I was calling about. Like he didn't even answer the phone the first time because he knew. And uh, I had to call again and then he answered. And that was a tough conversation. They had been friends since like junior high. <laughs> and then in the same conversation told him I was pregnant, <laughs> which was just a very weird, I didn't get that normal pregnancy announcement because I felt like it was so close to when he died that like I felt like I had to tell people like, you know, early on, like at the funeral at the, because, and I still feel like it's like, I always have to explain he is, my son is <laughs> my husband's kid. I was pregnant because the timing is just so questionable, I guess. <laughs> so that was kind of a weird experience, just having to kind of lump in, like announcing that my husband died and announcing that I was pregnant at the same time. So yeah, that's, I don't really know. Yeah. It's just very strange. <laughs> well, and I think it's uh, uh a beautiful way that your husband's legacy gets to continue but in the moment it probably just feels overwhelming and confusing and probably kind of takes away from the normal excitement that you might have had being pregnant Definitely. and going to the appointments and the ultrasound and all of that yeah yeah so my my first appointment was the week after he died and I cried at the end. The doctor was like, I mean, because they always look for like signs of, I know you've worked in healthcare, like the pregnancy appointments are like a big place where they look for like signs of abuse and stuff. And so I was crying at my appointment. So the doctor was, what is going on? So I had to explain to her that my husband had just died the week before. So that was another tough conversation. And my, my mother-in-law came with me to almost all of the appointments, the ones that she didn't go to, either my mom or my sister went with me. So that was, at least she got to be there. Yeah, it was, it was just kind of, it was so weird. 
what would you tell somebody, let's say, because that's actually not super uncommon that people then have to, after they lose their spouse, then they're pregnant and they're having to go through all of that pregnancy stuff and delivery without their person, which is probably like a constant knife stab that the fact that their person isn't there. But what advice would you give for people that would be going through those appointments? So, I mean, I guess just being honest about it and like upfront about it. Um, the fact that my OBGYN knew it's, they kind of stopped asking because they would have the question every time of, are, are you being abused? Is everything okay at home? They stopped asking me that question <laughs> because I told him one time, I was like, look, I was like, I live by myself. My husband is dead. Please stop asking me that. And they were like, okay, got it. <laughs> so, and then also when I did go in for delivery, I had to be induced. So I was there for, for several days. <laughs> I told them the first nurse, when we got there, I told them, I was like, Hey, I was like, my husband passed away. Can you just let all of the nurses know before they come in to see me? Like any nurse I have, can you just let them know the circumstances? So I don't have to keep explaining it. And they were like, yeah, we will make sure there was one that didn't get the memo before she actually had to leave because she was crying when I told her, (laughs) but overall that, I think that kind of helped not having to explain it over and over and over again having someone there with you that kind of obviously can be your support person. I remember there was a, there were like these classes, I have Kaiser and they offered like these classes that you can go to about breastfeeding and how to take care of your kid and stuff. So I was going to those. And the first one I went to, I went by myself and I was the only like solo person there. Like everyone else was there with someone else. And I remember texting my friend, um, she was like my support person. She's um, also a widow, but, you know, was farther along. And uh, I was texting her and she, I love her sense of humor. She texted me back and she's look, just remember half those people are going to be divorced in a year. <laughs> so that helped. That made me feel better. But uh, so I love you that must, widow humor. <laughs> if you can find someone one like that, you know, even if they're not a widow, that can just be there and support you. My sister at the time was also just really supportive. She was there with me. Both my widow friend Jeannie and my sister were both there with me when I had my son. So just lining up support and just being upfront and being open about the situation so that people can help you better, I guess. Yeah. It was and you oh. shared a little bit about how helpful it it has been to have somebody as a friend that's been widowed that's gone through that and how very recently now you're going to be that friend for someone else who's also going through that and how did you find that it was really helpful having someone that close to you that really understood in their own experience and way what it was like to lose their person Absolutely. So it's funny because we actually were not close before my husband passed away. We worked together. I was her supervisor at the time. So we were friendly, but we never talked outside of work. And then she came to the hospital when my husband was sick. She was there with me at the funeral. She was there like every step of the way. We're still close. We still talk often. I mean, it's, I don't know how I would have gotten through it without her. Honestly, there were so many days that I was calling her crying And she would always pick up the phone and she would always just, she would always answer. She would always just let me cry and be like, 
again, I love her sense of humor. She would be like, screw them or whatever. So it was, it was great. And now it's actually the two of us were friends with another girl we worked with who just recently, uh, this past week, lost her boyfriend. Uh, so it's kind of, it's funny because she texts, she's the one that told me because our friend had called her and she texted me and told me. And we were both kind of having the same reaction. Like we both kind of got thrown back into that like first day of grief mentality. Like I was physically dizzy when she told me the news and like just kind of in shock. And when we were talking and we were both kind of having the same reactions, which I don't feel like are normal reactions. (laughs) I don't think it's the same reaction that everyone else was having to that news. But it's just because like we had both gone through and we kind of both knew what she was going through at that time. So yeah, no, I mean, I think it's definitely even just the questions of, is this normal? And absolutely it's normal, but you feel like a crazy person when you're going through like those first few months of grief, you're like, this can't be normal. What's going on with me just to have someone there to be like, yeah, no, that's totally normal. Don't it'll, it'll pass, but it's totally normal. Yeah. It's just a sense of relief. Like you said, that you're not going crazy, that other people also experience some of those same things or have the brain fog and it's just in its own weird way it's comforting to know that okay yes this is normal but I can look forward and hope because I see other people who've gone through it they've experienced that and they're they have moved forward right there's hope and joy and things that are still possible it's not going to feel like this the rest of my life yeah Yeah, seeing that, seeing also, I mean, with having kids, it's like you always worry about how your kids are going to turn out. So, I mean, she wasn't pregnant when her husband passed, but it's just seeing that her kids are older now, they're in their 20s, and they've turned out very well. (laughs) So it's okay, there's hope, there's a future that's not just going to be like sad and awful for my son. So that helped too. Yeah, so... Tell us what it was like as you got to hold your child for the first time and just really, I guess, soak soak it all in this fruition of what you and and he had created together, really. So it's funny that you say soak it all in because I feel like I didn't get a normal pregnancy because I wasn't, I wasn't excited. It's like everyone would ask me and I, I work grocery. So I would, I was very obviously pregnant and people would always say, oh, you must be so excited. And I wasn't, I wasn't excited. And I remember talking to my therapist about that and being like, I'm already a bad mom because I'm not excited. <laughs> and he'd be like, no, you're, it doesn't mean you're a bad mom. It's just, you've had a lot of things happen. Not everyone's excited when they're pregnant. It doesn't make you a bad parent but I I was not excited at all. And at one point I actually got into my head that I was just going to die in childbirth. And I don't know why I decided that, but it was just like, I was dead set that like, I'm going to go, I'm going to have this baby and that's it. Like there's, there's nothing after. (laughs) I was just like totally unprepared. I ended up needing a C-section. So I was already just kind of like out of it from the surgery. And I remember they wanted me to hold him. They kept trying to put him on me for the skin to skin time. And I didn't want to. I was like, I'm going to drop him. No, someone else hold him. I remember my husband's family coming in. And at one point, his sister came and was holding him. They were all taking turns holding him. And his sister was holding him. And I was like, no, that's who should be holding him, not me. I don't, I just feel like I was just very, I didn't have, I guess the normal, I'm sure there's people that aren't widowed that also have that experience that just struggle to bond with a newborn, 
but I just, I couldn't bond with him. It actually took me probably like three to six months to really feel like I had bonded with him. So that was hard. (laughs) That's actually looking back. I tell a lot of people it's, I think the hardest point in my life was not when he was in the hospital and when he died. The hardest point was after I had my son, like those first three to six months was just so much harder. (laughs) And I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's not the same for everyone. Other people might not have that experience. Uh, that I've just, I've never been a baby person, which doesn't help. (laughs) I was just alone with this baby when I was living by myself. So, I mean, there's the struggle of being a new mom, which like no one's really ready for when it's your first kid. Um, And then there's the struggle. I'm pretty sure I had some postpartum depression. I was still grieving. It was only, I had been less than a year since my husband passed and I'm just not a kid person. And I'm stuck at home with this kid. (laughs) Who's crying uh, every two hours and need you to, doesn't let you rest yeah. and doesn't let you. Yeah. That's hard. So that was, yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because it's a lot of people have asked me since I have a boyfriend now that I live with. And a lot of people always ask, Oh, don't you want more kids? Don't you want more kids? And I'm like, no, I don't ever want to go through that again. And they're like, Oh yeah, but it would be different with a partner. And I'm like, it's, I just don't even want to take the chance. (laughs) Like it was so hard, but I think on the other hand, like the other part of that is we struggled. Like I struggled so much those first few months, but I think coming out of it and getting through it, I think my son and I are so much closer because of it. Um, So that's a good, like, I would say we're, we're closer than most like parent child relationship. Like, we're each other's people because we were each other's only person for a long time. Yeah. I love that. I love that you were able to, in spite of all of those challenges in front of you and the way that you felt and just all of that, that you still were able to form a close bond with your, your child. That's awesome. Yeah, it definitely took a while to get there. (laughs) And I think like nothing went the way I thought it was going to go, which I know is normal for having a kid. But I think it's even more important, like when you're grieving, when you're a solo parent, to just kind of remember that it's okay if things don't go the way that you think they will. Like I was dead set on breastfeeding and I I couldn't, like I just, I tried so hard and I struggled so much with that. And it's just, I mean, it just was not working out. And then finally, there was a day one of my neighbors came up to me and I was like on the verge of tears, just like struggling with breastfeeding. And she came up to me and she's like, just stop. <laughs> and it's, I, I needed someone else to tell me like, it's fine. Just give up on it. He'll be fine. Just go to formula. It'll be okay. <laughs> and I think part of that though, it's just like being a solo parent. I didn't have that support like in my household at home of someone being like, hey, it's okay. Just, just don't do it anymore. <laughs> And same thing with like decisions, like it's like all the decisions are on you. So it's like, there's so much more pressure to feel like you have to make the right decision because you don't have that shared responsibility with someone else. And being a first time parent, that's, it's a lot of pressure. (laughs) It's scary, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And not having that person to hash things out with and make decisions and what should the rules be and how should we raise our child? And it is hard. So, yeah, I think, I mean, navigating that, just kind of knowing, I feel like I've, I've accepted more now. I mean, he just turned five. So 
we've had a few years now together, but I feel like I'm, I'm just kind of accepting more now that, okay, we're not going to have that ideal. And I know nobody does, but we're just, we're doing what works for us. And it may not be what works for other people. It may not even be what's necessarily the best thing, but it works for us. And that's how we get through things. And that's how it's, it may not be the best, but it's good enough and it works. Yeah. So So what would you tell someone who's struggling to say they have their newborn, they're struggling to bond, they're still grieving pretty heavily, what changed in those three to six months that you feel like brought the two of you closer? I think the biggest thing would probably just be accepting that it was okay, that I hadn't bonded with him yet, that I hadn't. My therapist helped a lot. I started therapy when my husband was in, was in the hospital still and did about three years of therapy, which helped a lot. But I think we spent a lot of time talking about that at the time with my therapist, just that like accepting that it's okay because I think it it kind of added on the guilt of oh I'm a bad mom because I'm not bonded with my kid and then seeing actually my friend who just became a widow she had her baby um she had a baby two weeks before me we were pregnant together at the same time um and uh I remember like seeing pictures of her and her boyfriend and like how happy they looked you know with their daughter and um Like, I remember seeing those pictures and just, you know, like those pictures made me sad because I didn't get that. And um, just knowing that it's, it doesn't make me a bad parent to not have those feelings. It just means that I've had a different situation. So it's, (laughs) we've gone through. Accepting that and letting it happen naturally instead of feeling like you have to force it or, yeah. 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 Because I feel like trying to force it, it's just, it adds on guilt on top of everything else you're already feeling, which does not make those feelings happen. (laughs) And just understanding that, like that feeling will come eventually. And just to kind of like, just, just keep moving, (laughs) just keep going forward and you'll get there at some point. You'll be like, Oh, I do actually love my kid. (laughs) So it's a, I think that's just, I guess the biggest thing, just accepting that it's okay. And it doesn't make you a bad parent because you've had a more difficult situation. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And so I know people are going to be curious when we're first widowed, usually the first thing in our mind is, oh, I'll never find anyone else. I could never be with anyone else. But it's like the furthest thing from our mind at times. But I know eventually you did meet someone and start dating and you're in a relationship. So do you mind to share just a little bit about that, about, you know, at what point maybe you were open to that and if there was anything that changed your mind or a realization that you came to that helped you maybe not feel guilty or some of those things that people tend to feel. Yeah. So, so I guess that kind of started actually the day of the funeral. Uh, my, I didn't start dating that day, but my, my in-laws after the funeral and we had a reception at their house and I drove back to the house with them and we were walking in from the garage and my mother-in-law turned to me and said, you're young, like you're going to meet someone new and that's okay. And at the time I was not ready to hear that. (laughs) I was like, no, like I'm never going to date again. Like I'm just going to be single for the rest of my life. I was dead set on, he was my husband and that was it. But I think just having that, that like 
acceptance and permission kind of from my in-laws to move on with my life and be happy really helped. And I know not everyone gets that. So I know I was very lucky to have that they've been amazing. But so that kind of like, that was kind of like the first, oh, hey, like you're actually, your life is going to keep going after this. (laughs) Um, And then I didn't date for, I mean, I was pregnant, so it would have been hard to date anyways. (laughs) But about a year out, I kind of started like going on mostly online dating I kind of started dipping my toes in my, I was in a mom group and one of my, my friends from the mom group kind of set me up with someone, but it's like, we went on one date and nothing really happened, you know? Um, And then I kind of, I don't know, I just wasn't finding anyone at the time. I feel like I was really just looking for a replacement for my husband. Like I was like all of the guys that I was liking looked a lot like my husband. He was bald with a big beard. And I was like liking a lot of guys that were bald with a big beard. And I kind of realized that I was like, oh, I was like, maybe I'm not ready if what I'm looking for is just like a copy of him because I'm never going to find it. I'm never going to find him. So I kind of took a break. And then two years out, I kind of, again, started to kind of try to dip my toes in. And again, it just wasn't really finding anything. I just wasn't really feeling ready. Um, so I stopped again. I went on a couple first dates, but just nothing that really went anywhere. Um, and then a little bit before three years out, I don't know why <laughs> I kept just doing it at the year mark, but a little bit before three years out, uh, I started dating again. I actually went on um, a few dates with one guy And then I met another guy who was all unhinged. (laughs) I met another guy that I really liked. We dated for about a month. And then he ghosted me, actually. Though he ended up apologizing later. And that was like, he actually ended up ghosting me right around the third anniversary. It was like a week before the third anniversary of my husband's death. I was just like, this is the worst timing. But I got through that. And then about a week after I met my current boyfriend, also through Hinge, I highly recommend Hinge. (laughs) And at first, it's funny, actually, because our first date, I was kind of like, I don't know. And at that point, I was like, ready to give up again. I was like, look, I've talked to a lot of guys that have been on a few dates, I'm just not finding anyone. So I was kind of ready to take a break. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll see what this guy's about. So we went on a first date. And my thing at the time was like, I, I would only give them an hour on the first date and it was like the middle of COVID. So was, there wasn't really anywhere to go. Wow. So, so you, you were, did you tell them, did you say you've got one hour? <laughs> yeah. I told him, I was like, all right, I had this park near my house that we, I always met the guys at. And I was like, look, you got one hour at this park. We'll walk around and we'll see if I want to date you. <laughs> so he got his hour. And after that hour, I was kind of like, eh. I don't know. But in the next week, he managed to convince me to go on a second date with him. And then the second date, I liked him better. I was like, okay, we'll give it a shot. And two and a half years later, we're now living together. Does he get more than an hour a day now? Yeah, yeah. Well, we have kids. He has a 13-year-old, so it's, and I have a five-year-old, so it gets a little busy, but he gets more than an hour now. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I love that. And what I really love is how you would stop and recognize. I I made the same mistake of not trying to replace my husband, but trying to feel a hole, like trying to not be lonely, trying to 
because I wanted to be with someone I liked being in a relationship to fill that gap instead of saying I'm enjoying life. I like what I do. I would like to have someone to add to it, but I'm not looking for someone out of loneliness. But I love that you would kind of stop along the way and say, I really don't think I'm ready now. Or, well, if I'm looking for someone to replace my husband, it's probably not what I should be looking for. So that you had the maturity and the discipline to change after you recognize that, I think speaks a lot about you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, I agree. It's I feel and again, that's where therapy, I think really helped me a lot. Because along the way, I was still going to therapy regularly. And I would talk to my therapist about, hey, so I'm talking to this guy. But you know, these are the things or at one point, he told me kind of like, so what's like your list of things that you're looking for? And I had this huge long list. (laughs) And on that list was things like, I want someone that's never been married before. And I want someone that doesn't have any kids and other things that kind of more aligned with values and stuff. And it's funny because he told me he's, I think the things you're going to compromise on that list are the never been married and doesn't have kids. And here I am with a divorced dad. (laughs) So he was right about that. But I like how the things you weren't going to compromise were your shared values and your shared, I assume, beliefs, values, things that are important to you are are probably things that you have in common. Yeah. So that is the one area I think, like I said, when I first started dating, I was kind of looking for someone like my husband because I loved him. We had a great relationship. And then I stopped looking for just my husband. But I think that's kind of the things that I kept from like my, my boyfriend, and my husband are very different people, but that's one thing they have in common is a lot of those core values. And I think, I mean, in any relationship after a while, you kind of learn what's important to you value wise. And that, that's the things you don't get to compromise on. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Well, thank you, Nicole, so much for sharing your story and just sharing some of the things that you've learned along the way. Is there anything that you would want to leave people with or anything you would want to say to encourage them or any advice that you would give them as they're going through their, their healing journey? I mean, I think the biggest thing for me was to just kind of get more comfortable with talking about it. And now I'm a mess still crying five years later talking about it, but you get comfortable, like even more comfortable crying. I was never a crier before, but like expressing your emotions and kind of sitting with your emotions because when you try to push them away, and that's what I always used to tell my therapist, it's the things that I don't want to talk about are the things that I need to talk about. So it's, it's not comfortable. It's not fun to talk about those things, but they're really the things that you need to get off your chest and that you need to talk about and accept yourself to kind of get through things. So that, that I guess would be my biggest advice that helped me the most is just kind of pushing through those uncomfortable moments and just talking about them anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. And for people that just consistently suppress or try to numb themselves from emotions and feelings over time that will manifest physically into physical aches and pains and, or it will bubble up and you won't be able to suppress it anymore. And we tend to see that a lot. So I think that's great advice. It's hard. It's not fun. When I started recording this podcast, I'd have to stop and start, I don't know, 20 times when I would just start telling my story and talking about it. But now the more I talk about it, the easier it is to do that without being overcome by the emotion. And so it is possible and it is helpful to help share your story. So 
thank you for doing that. I uh, really enjoyed today. You're a beautiful person with a beautiful story, and I'm excited to see what's in store ahead for you for your future. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Brave Widow podcast. I would love to help you take your next step, whether that's healing your heart, finding hope, or achieving your dreams for the future. Do you need a safe space to connect with other like-minded widows? Do you wish you had how-tos for getting through the next steps in your journey, organizing your life, or moving through grief? What about live calls where you get answers to your burning questions? The Brave Widow membership community is just what you need. Inside, you'll find courses to help guide you, a community of other widows to connect with, live coaching and Q&A calls, and small group coaching where you can work on what matters most to you. Learn how to heal your heart, find hope, reclaim joy, and dream again for the future. It is possible. Head on over to bravewidow.com to learn more.